want to get into the Word, I, I, want to, I want to take a little time to introduce, actually the body of my message won't be near as long as my introduction, so bear with me as I get started here. I'm going to, I'm going to bring this message from a story that you're familiar with in the fourth chapter of John, when Jesus talked to the woman at the well. Y'all remember that story? Uh, if you don't, it's in uh, John chapter 4, and uh, I'll read verses 21 to 20, uh, 24. Jesus said unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship because salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is. And I want you to get this because this is my top, uh, text topic verse right here, this 23rd verse. The hour is coming when the true worshipers of the Father will worship him in spirit and in truth. And here's my message right here. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this opportunity. Now, Lord, you know my heart today, and I really do want to be a blessing to these people. But, Lord, I'm, I'm well aware that there's no good thing in me outside of you. And I can't do anything effective without the anointing of the Holy Spirit. So come now, Holy Spirit, I pray, and anoint my heart, anoint my mind to think clearly, and my lips a flame of fire to share your truth. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. Thank you. God bless you. You can be seated. To sort of introduce this, to, to give you a little, not a background from the story, because I think you're familiar with that. Jesus talked with this little woman at the well, and, and you know the story. He offered her eternal life, basically. He told her he had some water to give her where she wouldn't have to come to that well and draw anymore because he was going to give her a different kind of water springing up inside so you'll never thirst again. And she said, oh, please give me that water. And then Jesus went into a conversation with her about worship, and that's what I want to talk to you about. And, uh, and he made a statement that in all of my years of studying the Bible, and I, I love the Word of God, I, I have an insatiable desire that's never left me for the Word of God. It intensifies the older I get. In fact, as soon as I could get anything to read, I was back into the Word and, and, uh, and over and over and over again. And in the last year, I've gone through the New Testament, uh, the whole Bible three times and through the New Testament eight times. Um, I, I just love the Word of God. It's life. Um, it, it's, in fact, Jesus said in John 6, 63, it is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Amen. I used that as a text verse one time for a series I preached, and you may find this hard to believe. I hadn't checked the Guinness World Book of World Records on this or, uh, or not, but I may have the longest series ever preached. I preached from that text verse for five solid years at, at New Hope. Every Sunday for five years, my text, down on, we were still on Crawford Avenue, my text was John 6, 63. And what I did, I took all the words of Jesus in chronological order, and I preached every word that was spoken that we have recorded here. All of the words are not recorded that Jesus spoke, but those that are recorded, 
every one of them are important. They are spirit and they are life. And, and Jesus told her that. Now, for the background of that, I want you, I want you to think with me just a few minutes about angels. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of things that we don't know about angels. There are some things that we do know from the Scripture. And if you go to a library or, <laughs> or follow on, uh, look on Amazon for books or whatever, you'll find all kind of stuff on angels. And some of them are as kooky and as crazy as anything you ever read in your life. In fact, poor old Oprah Winfrey, bless her heart, she's so screwed up about her uh, theology of angels that it's not even funny. And I'm not trying to put her down. She's done a great work in a lot of ways, but she don't know what she's talking about when she starts talking about angels. But then on the opposite extreme, you have some e extremely good books. Billy Graham wrote a great book many years ago on angels. Well, we do know about angels in the scripture. Not, there's not a whole lot, but we do know that there are apparently three divisions of angels in heaven. At least the scripture mentions three. There could be more, but we know from the scripture that there are at least three divisions of angels in heaven. And each of these divisions are led by an archangel or a chief angel that is over a segment of angels in that particular area. The first one that we know a whole lot about is, uh, is a, a, one named Michael. Michael is the warring angel. You, you're familiar with him if you've read the word. Daniel chapter 10 verses 13 and 21 tells about that warring angel, Michael. In fact, chapter 12 and verse 1 speaks of him. He was the angel that prevailed against the, the prince of Persia when Daniel was fasting and praying, he fasted for 21 days for an answer. And Gabriel told him, he said, God heard you the first day you prayed. And he sent me with a message to you, but I couldn't get through. And so Michael, the, the archangel, the warring angel, came and helped me fight against the prince of Persia. And I, I'm, I'm here with the word. And so you, you, you also find him in Jude verse 9. Uh, as the angel that fought with Satan over the body of Moses. And you find him again in Revelations chapter 12, verses 7 to 9. John the Revelator saw a, a mighty battle in heaven, the warring angels of Michael fighting against the demonic forces of the devil. And, of course, you know who wins, amen. How many of you are glad you're on the winning side this morning? <laughs> Praise the Lord. So, so Michael is the warring angel. Gabriel, and I already mentioned him, he's the word-bearing angel. He's the one that God sends with a message, sends with the word. He's the one that you saw in Daniel chapter 8 verse 16 and again in 9 and 21. He brought the message to Daniel and, and uh, helped him to, to receive part of that great revelation that he had about the end time. You see him again in Luke chapter 1 and verse 19. He was the messenger that came to Zechariah and told him that his wife, who had been barren all of her life and was now in advanced years, was going to have a baby, and you're going to name him John, and he's going to be the forerunner of Jesus. He's also the messenger in Luke 1, 26, that brought a message to that little olive-complected maiden by the name of Mary and said, you're going to conceive in your womb. The Holy Spirit's going to overshadow you. It's going to be a divine miracle birth, and his name is to be called Jesus. 
He's going to save his people from his sins, for those sins. And then there's a third group of angels that were in heaven way before even the earth as we know it now was created. And that was Lucifer, the archangel. And he was the worshiping angel. He's identified in Isaiah chapter 14 and verse 12. Ezekiel describes his beauty in chapter 28, verses 13 to 17. Listen to these words. Thou wast in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering, the sardis, the topaz, the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, the carbuncle, the gold, the workmanship of thy tabards and of thy pipes were prepared in thee in the day that thou wast created. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so, and wast in the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou wast perfect in all of thy ways until iniquity was found in thee. Now, <clears throat> that was the worship leader of heaven. I wanted to read that to you because there's something very interesting about this. It says that as Lucifer led the worship in heaven that he actually also had all of the musical instruments of a whole orchestra that, that came out of him as he led the music. Now, you, you say, preacher, you, you, you're getting strange now. That's weird. But wait a minute. I, I saw Brother uh, uh, Stuttered a while ago uh, over here on the keyboard. By the way, Brother Stuttered, I've known him uh, for 100 years too. Uh, <coughs> he... He, he's, he, he not only can play that piano, that grand, but he's got an electronic keyboard up there as well. I've watched him. I watch y'all services. I'm familiar with y'all. I, I, I'm with you. I'm just 150 miles away. But the, on that keyboard, if he wants to, he can make it play and sound just like a piano. He did that this morning. He can push another button over there and make it sound like an organ. He can push another button over there, and he can have percussion coming out of that keyboard. He can push another one and have a brass coming out, and it'll, it'll, sound like a, it'll sound like a band playing. He can hit another one. It sounds like violins and a, a great orchestra playing. Listen, if man can make an instrument that can do all of that, don't get excited or thinking we're weird when we talk about God having placed within, I don't know how he did it, but he placed it within the worship leader of heaven so that he didn't have to look to anybody else to play the instruments. He could just open his mouth as he led the choir and the orchestra was playing with the music of heaven right there. He led the worship of heaven. Now, we, we know what happened to uh, Lucifer. He got so exalted and lifted up because of his position in heaven that he decided, you know, I'm just a step below God, and I think I'll just go on up and take over and be God. That, that's a mistake, a bad mistake. In fact, in fact, uh, Ezekiel talks about him. He said, how art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, thou son of the morning? Thou was cast out to the ground. Jesus verifies that in Luke 10 and 1 when he said, I beheld Satan like lightning fall from the sky. Let me tell you, when, when Lucifer lifted up his heel against God, 
boy, just like that. I mean, faster than a New York minute, he was gone. Jesus said, I saw him like lightning come from the sky. Glory to God. Don't mess with God. He's able to take care of himself and you and me and all the rest of his creation. He's God. Amen. Now, assuming again that there are these three divisions and assuming, now all of this is assumption. I, I'm, I don't have a scripture verse that I can prove this by, but I'm assuming by what we do know about angels that, that these three divisions were probably equal in size and number. They're all created beings that God had made. So when Lucifer was cast out, there, were a, there was a portion of the angels that went with him, a third of them went with him. Boy, you talking about, <laughs> listen, <laughs> it used to bother me when, when, uh, when folks would leave the church when they were mad, you know, and uh, rebellious or anything like that. But I got to thinking, you know, God's the greatest pastor in the whole universe, and he lost a third of his. His, uh, his, choir, his choir leader got all out of sorts and uh, got kicked out. By the way, folks, that's the reason the enemy will fight the music of your church as much as he fights anything and maybe more. That's why when I was still pastoring, before I retired from pastoring, we, pr we prayed for our music team as much as we prayed for anybody else and maybe more because we, they were leading us in worship and we, and, and we knew that Satan would, would fight them. And, but anyway, we've got a problem in heaven. We got a, a third of the church has left, and uh, the music director's gone. So what's God going to do? Uh, by the way, God didn't panic. He didn't get excited at all. The attendance was down, but the finances weren't. God's still on the gold on a thousand hills, and you know, all of the cattle on a thousand hills, and the gold is under the under the hills. He still owns it also. So God, God wasn't worried about a thing. In fact, if God had chosen to, all God had to do was speak the word and he could have created another bunch of angels to replace those that went with Satan. But he didn't. God said, I got a better idea. That's when God said, let us make man in our image after our own likeness and let them have dominion over the birds of the air and the fish of the sea and whatsoever crawleth upon the, whatsoever crawleth upon the earth, uh, walketh upon the earth. And, and he even said, over every creeping thing. Did you know God has uh, dominion over everything in the universe? And you and I have been given that dominion. That's what he gave to Adam. And we have regained it through Christ. We even have dominion over creeps. Praise God. We got, we got victory. There's no use anybody hanging their head. We got victory in Jesus. And so God makes, a, makes man in his image. And, and he, he creates him in, in such a special way that now God has the opportunity to have a larger group of angels than he ever had before greater quantity because he gives to man procreation power and he said I want you to uh, to be fruitful and multiply 
and replenish the earth. So now he has the opportunity of having a greater number of worshipers. Plus, now he has a greater quality of worshipers than he had in heaven. Because when he made man in his own image and after his own likeness, he gave us the power of choice. And he gave us the, 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 the volition, uh, the power to choose what we will. So when we worship God, we're not worshiping God because he's given us a command to. We're worshiping God from the dictates of our heart because we chose to. This morning, Lord, give him praise. He's worthy of it. Nobody, nobody held a gun to your head this morning and say you had to come to church. And when you got here this morning, nobody told you you had to worship and praise. Your worship and praise went up to God because you chose to. You said, I want to sing of my Redeemer. I want to praise the Lord. I want to rejoice together. And let me tell you, didn't we feel the presence of God while we were worshiping Him this morning? I sensed Him right here in the building. I saw Him as some came to pray at the altar. I felt Him as you worshiped from your heart and lifted your hands and praised the Lord. Oh, glory to God. That's what God made us for, to praise and worship Him. So, let me now give you the heart of my message, and I don't know what time you're used to getting out. I watch you on TV, but I never check the time, so I don't know what time it is you let, let out around here. But here, here I'm going to give you about three or four points regarding worship and the importance of it. First of all, worship is the purpose for which you were created. And I want to tell you something. Everything... Everything in God's creation is happier and the happiest when they're fulfilling their purpose. Birds sing in the air and fish swim in the sea, but you take the birds out of the air and put them in the sea and they're miserable. And you take the fish out of the sea and put them in the air and they're miserable. And I want to tell you, when you fail to fulfill your purpose, you're never fully fulfilled. You're never completely happy. You're never full of, there is no greater joy in this life than worshiping the Lord with all of your heart, and with all of your soul, and with all of your mind, and with all of your strength, and lifting up praises to his holy name. Oh, praise the Lord. I feel like running. If I had some more toes, I'd take off. Glory to God. Hallelujah. I, by the way, I'm going to get some. My, my, my wound care doctor dis, dis, dismissed me last uh, week. He finally he said, you're fine. You're healed. You're done. You don't have to come back anymore. And I said, Dr. Duggan, I'd like one more meeting with you. And he immediately, before I could finish, he turned to his nurse and he said, put him down for a month from now. I said, no, 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 that's not what I mean, Dr. Duggan. I said, I've already given you my testimony. You know that the only reason I'm here is because God raised me from the dead. And I said, I'm believing God now for a creative miracle. And I said, as soon as he gives me those new toes, I want to come back in here and show them to you. And <laughs> Amen. I want to show. And, and I know I'm going to get them because the Bible says, how beautiful are the feet of those that carry good tidings. Amen. And I'm carrying good news. And right now my feet are terribly ugly. 
So, so God's going to create some new toes for me. Anyway, that's a side note. I, I sometimes get off on those. But uh, the, the second thing I want you to notice about your worship is that, that it gets God's attention. Did you know that? that? There are two things in the Bible that always get God's attention. Two things. You can count on it. Mark it down. And one of them is faith. And the other's worship, praise, always, always. Let, let's track through the New Testament here for just a little bit. Um, let me back you up to, I'll just give you two or three little illustrations here, okay? In Matthew chapter 8, first three verses, when he had come down from the mountain, a great multitude followed him, and behold, a leper came and worshiped him saying, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus said in him, I'm willing, be cleansed. And immediately he was cleansed. You know how he got his healing? Through worship. Through worship. Drop on down to the ninth chapter. You remember Jairus that had the 12-year-old daughter that died? Remember? You remember him? All right, verse 18. While he spoke these things to them, behold, a ruler came and worshipped him, saying, My daughter has just died. Come and lay hands on her, and she shall live. How many know the rest of that story? You know the rest of it? She, she came back to life. Jesus raised her from the dead. How did he get that miracle? Through worship. Through worship. Now, turn with me to the 15th chapter of Matthew. Because here's one that stumped me for a long time. This, this one bothered me because it was so out of character with the demeanor of Jesus in his ministry. Look at verse 21. Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Cana came from the region saying, and cried out to him, saying, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. Notice the next verse. But he answered her not a word. He wouldn't give her the time of day. That, that seems so out of character with Jesus. It bothered me for a long time. And, uh, and in fact, his disciples came to him and said, <laughs> in fact, it says, they urged him. They said, Jesus, please. She's crying after us now. She's left you alone. She sees she can't get anywhere with you. Now she's bothering us. Would you please do something for this woman? She's driving us nuts. And so <clears throat> he, uh, he told him, he said, you know, I've, I'm come for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Uh, then, the, then she came. This is the second time this woman comes to him. And look at verse 25. And worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered. He answered. And he said, it's not meat for me to take the children's bread and give it to the dogs. And she said, yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be unto you as your desire. And, of course, when she got home, that daughter was set free. How does she get her marriage? See, here, here's the thing. When you 
when you do cursory readings of the Bible, when you just read down verse by verse, and you don't take time to stop and meditate and think about things, you, you get the wrong impression. You get the idea that this woman came to Jesus, she's begging and screaming and hollering and crying and making a, a, a scene with her emotions, and, and Jesus just turns and talks to other people, and the disciples start trying to do their work and try to get her quieted down. She won't, she just keeps on, and they come to her, and then, and then she worships it. No, 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 there's a, there's a distance between those two verses. Here's what happened. When the disciples came to Jesus and saw that he wasn't going to do anything, they went back to do their job as his disciples. And they said, now, lady, you're going to have to be quiet. We're trying to have church here. And Jesus is trying to teach. Now, you sit down and be quiet. And she sat down and was quiet. And while she's sitting there, she sees a leper healed. She sees a blind man come and worship him and go away with his sight. She sees him heal the deaf and dumb who come and worship him. And finally, the little light goes on. And she said, that's it. That's it. And she came and worshiped him. I told you, worship always gets his attention. I don't care what you're going through. I don't care what you're dealing with. Worship will always get his attention. Then he answered her. Now, she didn't like his answer, but she didn't get offended by it. In fact, before the thing was over with their conversation, she got her need met and got her daughter delivered and healed. Was it worth it? I think it was. I think it was. So let me tell you something. That when crying and praying, and I'm not against crying and praying, I think you need to pray. And I think God loves for you to pray. You know, the Bible said, ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it'll be open to you. And uh, keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. That, that's scriptural. But let me tell you, when crying won't get the job done, when praying won't get the job done, when nothing else will get the job done, if you'll just quit it all and lay it at the feet of Jesus and say, forget all of this, Lord. I know i got a bunch of needs, but right now I'm just going to worship you. I can promise you it will get his attention. Glory to God. Somebody give him praise in the house this morning. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Here's one I love. Remember I said that a third of the angels fell? Now that didn't mean that worship stopped in heaven. Because the Bible says, His name shall never cease to be praised. All men shall be blessed in Him and all men shall call Him blessed. That's a prophecy that was given in the Psalms. But it tells us all the way back to the beginning, this is the mind of God. He has declared because of what his son Jesus, before he did it, what he was going to do, while he did it, while he was doing it, and after he did it, for eternity in the future, his name is going to be worshipped and praised. That's a declaration of God. So with the worshipers gone, some of the other angels have to fill in. Michael and the warring angels have to come over here and get in the choir and start singing and, and, and praising the Lord. And Gabriel and the word-bearing angels have to, have to get. But let me tell you something. 
<laughs> if you'll learn to worship God, God will release some of those warring angels to fight in your behalf. I could give you several examples, but I'll just give you one from the book of Second uh, Chronicles chapter 20. Jehoshaphat was surrounded by three confederated armies. I mean, he was so outnumbered it was ridiculous. In fact, one of the old strategies of war in that time was if you can get enough soldiers together to surround a city, then you can hold them in and starve them out, and eventually they'll have to give up, and you can come in and take over without even fighting. And, and, the, and so you've got three confederated armies here. You've got Moab, you've got Ammon, you've got all of them from Mount Seir. They're surrounding Jehoshaphat and all the children of God. And they've got them boxed in and they can't do anything. And I love Jehoshaphat because he recognized that he was in a situation that he didn't know what to do. And so he went to God and he admitted it. He said, Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And so God gave him a plan, and he put, the, he put the choir out in front of the army. Glory to God. You know, if, if you'd do that, you wouldn't have near as many people wanting to get on the praise team. <laughs> but, but that's what Jehoshaphat did. He got, he got all of his musical. He got, the, he got the praise team together. He got the choir together and put them out. He said, we're going to put you in front of the soldiers. And we're going to march right into the teeth of all, all those, those armies out there. We're going to go right out there. And you're going to lead the way. And you're going to go out there singing, praise the Lord. Bless the name of the Lord. For his mercy endures forever. And you're just going to sing and praise the Lord. And glory to God. While they were singing and praising the Lord, Pastor Brooks, the Lord went over and tapped old Michael on the shoulder and said, Michael, come here, come here, come here. And, and Michael comes over and he said, look down there. He said, you hear that music? He said, that sounds good to me. I said, I'm, nothing wrong with you guys. You, you angels are mighty good singers. But there's just something about those guys that don't have to sing they're not, they're not scheduled to sing. They're just singing from their hearts and worshiping me. I tell you what I want you to do, Michael. I'm enjoying that so good. I'm going to let them sing. I want you to take a couple of guys and go down there and take care of that situation. And so a couple of the angels went down and whipped that whole crowd. I mean, just defeated the whole, all of the armies, just took care of them. Glory to God. And I have learned that God will do the same thing for you. I forgot to mention all the people I know, Brother Anthony Hampton back there in the sound booth. Uh, we, we used to live a mile from him when he was a little boy, and our, our kids kind of grew up together. Uh, Anthony, I love him dearly, but, but uh, I, I was up with his dad in West Virginia, and I was telling him, you know, Brother Hampton, I've been prayer partners for many, many years. And when we were younger, we used to, we used to be pretty, I'm not trying to brag or anything about this, but we used to be pretty good warriors in prayer. We, uh, you know, we read that scripture where it says one of you can put a thousand to flight, two of you can put 10,000 to flight. So every time the two of us would, either one of us would get in trouble or fighting a big battle or something, we'd call the other one and we just joined together in prayer. In other words, I'd be fighting a thousand, but I'd get old Dan to help me. And we, we, 
whipped 10,000. And boy, we, we felt good about that. And, uh, and well, that's when you're young and, you know, you got more grit than sometimes you got grace. And uh, we, we'd, but we'd go after it. Man, we'd fight them devils. We'd rebuke devils. We'd cast out devils and do all kind of things with devils. But as we got older, we started learning a little bit more about praise and worship. And I found out it's a whole lot easier to praise than it is to fight. <laughs> Plus, one angel, I may share some of this later, but one angel put 180,000 to flight. Dan and I got to look at that scripture one day and said, good time of living, Dan. You can put 1,000 to flight, you and me together, we can put 10,000 to flight, but one angel can put 180,000 to flight. Why don't we quit fighting and why don't we start praising? Amen. So we just worship and praise the Lord. We worship and praise the Lord. I told, I told God one time when we were, we were really fighting some battles and dealing with some tough issues, and I told the Lord one morning, I said, God, you got men in this city that are smarter than I am. You got men in this city that are more eloquent than I am. You got men in this city that's better looking than I am. But I said, God, I'm going to promise you one thing. If you get anybody in this city that praises you more than I do, they're going to have to get up mighty early in the morning and get started because I'm going to worship and praise you. Amen. Amen. The Lord told me, he said, if you would tithe to me your time and give me the first 10% of your day, I'll take care of the rest of it. Amen. I, I've been through a lot of stuff, and I'm 76 years old, and I wasn't supposed to live when I was 7 years old. I wasn't supposed to live when I was 18 years old. I wasn't supposed to live last year. But I'm still here, and I'm here because I've learned to worship the Lord. I've learned to praise the Lord. I've learned to praise the Lord. I, I praise Him. I'll give you one illustration, and I'll pause. I'll finish. I'll close. Let me put it that way. I'm not finished. I, I, could, I could talk about this all day long. But I, I'll, give you, I'll give you one illustration for my last point, and this is what I believe. And I base it on that story that I read to you from my text in John chapter 4. When Jesus told that woman at the well, God is seeking for worshipers. Now, I can't wrap my mind about God wanting or needing anything. That's beyond me. And I don't, I'm not trying to understand it except the Lord helped me some on that one time. I was asking about it. I said, Lord, I still, I've, I've, I've frustrated over this for years and I just can't understand how you could possibly want or desire anything. And the Lord told me to go to 1 John, and I went to 1 John chapter 4, and I found out in verses 8 and verse 16 that God is love, not has love. God is love. And the Holy Spirit said to me, love must have an object to express itself got to have an object to express itself. Uh, let me give you a principle here. You can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. 
If you love, you'll give. I don't care who you are. If you love, you will give. Loving and giving are inseparable. So God needed an, a, a place to express his divine nature. And so, so he made us. Aren't, aren't we lucky? Aren't we blessed? Glory to God. And so, so if, if God wants praise, then I want to give it to him. My part of it anyway. Lord, let it go. I used, to, I used to, as Sister Langdon can tell you, I used to be, well, I was an evangelist for a number of years. When you're an evangelist, you, you stay up late and you eat after church and, you, you know, you don't go to bed till about midnight or after and, and then you <clears throat> lay around and get up about the crack of noon. And uh, that's, that's what I was used to as a young preacher at you know, crazy hours. And... Uh, the Lord turned me around one night. Uh, <laughs> I, did, I certainly didn't plan on it. But I got a telephone call about 3 in the morning. And it was my cousin. Uh, he was in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. And my cousin's a big guy. I mean big. He looks like he belongs. A, he looks like he's a defensive end on a pro football team. He's big. And he's mean. And he's a drug addict, or was. And uh, <clears throat> for some reason, he'd gotten angry at me. I, I, didn't, I never even fully understand what it was about. He, all I knew was he was high as a kite on drugs. And he told me, 3 o'clock on the phone, he said, I'm on my way to your house right now. I'm leaving Winston-Salem. I'm driving to Augusta, Georgia. And when I get there, I'm going to beat you to a bloody pulp. I'm going to beat you till nobody recognizes you. I'm going to give you the whooping of your life. And... Uh, and then he hung up. And uh, boy, that'll make you a day right there, you know. <laughs> and so I, I just got out of bed because I couldn't, it's hard to go back to sleep after something like that. <laughs> and I, I knew him. He meant business. He's, he's crazy. He was in Griffin, Georgia one day and got high on drugs. And they made him mad in the Waffle House. And he went outside and took a hold of the meter, the power meter, and twisted it out of the wall. I mean, he cut the lights off in the Waffle House and shut them down. <laughs> he, he, he'd do crazy things. Wonder he hadn't got electrocuted. Probably too mean. <laughs> but, he, but he was going to whoop me. And so I, I got out of bed, uh, went into my prayer room, and I said, Lord, I'm like Jehoshaphat right now. I don't, I don't know what to do. And the quickest answer I've ever gotten to prayer in my life, the Holy Spirit spoke to me as clear as I ever heard him. And he said, I will take care of him. And all the fear left. All the, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know whether to meet him at the door with a pistol or whether to call the sheriff and have them come out and wait and or whether to get my family in the car and leave town. I didn't know what to do, but God says it's going to be all right. And it was. He was so high on drugs that when he was coming up 85, he missed the turn to come down to Augusta and wound up in Atlanta. <laughs> and I didn't hear from him again for years. God took care of him. 
And that's when God told me. He told me that morning. He said, if you'll give me the first 10% of your day, I'll take care of the rest. And I'm, I'm here to testify to you this morning. God is faithful. God is faithful. He has never failed. He's never failed. And here's the illustration we're going to close with. In 1989, our church on Crawford Avenue, um, the Lord threw a series of events, and I won't go into the long part of the story, but there was a, a little independent charismatic church that sought to merge with us, and I prayed about it. In fact, I spent, uh, I, didn't know, I didn't know how to merge two churches together. I started looking for a way, how do you merge two churches? I found a whole lot on splitting churches. <laughs> but I couldn't, find, but I couldn't find much on merging churches. So I went before the Lord in prayer, and here's what the Lord told me. The Lord spoke to me. He said, "If you'll give me the first four hours of your day for thirty days, I'll show you how to merge these two churches." And let me tell you, folks, merging those two churches. My church, the old Crawford Avenue Church of God downtown Augusta, was a typical. Pentecostal church. I mean, we were old line, old fashioned. We were old. And <clears throat> this charismatic church, charismatic don't even say all of it. They, they, were, they were charismatic to the 10th degree. They were, I mean, everybody had a flag and a, and a tambourine and a, and a, I mean, they, they were charismatic. And you're going to put a charismatic church and an old line Pentecostal church together? How are you going to do that? But God said, I'll show you how to do it if you'll give me the first four hours of your day for 30 days. So for 30 days, my alarm clock went off at midnight. And from midnight to 4 a.m., I spent with God in prayer, just praising and worshiping God. And I kept a notebook beside me. And I wrote down everything that God told me. <clears throat> and we put those two churches together. And I mean, it, it, you couldn't, it happened. So, in fact, I went out to that charismatic church and took a vote and got a 100% vote from those wild, off-the-wall charismatics <laughs> to, to join with our old-fashioned, old-line Pentecostal church. I mean, it's a miracle. And, and then, and then I went to my congregation, and I took a vote from them. And we had all the votes for it except eight. Eight votes against it. Well, I felt good. I thought, man, that's wonderful. At that time, not, not in later years, but at that time, there was about, usually about eight people that felt like they were called to vote against anything I was for. <laughs> I mean, uh, that was just, that was just their, their mission in life, was to oppose me on whatever. And so I was used to having a little opposition. I mean, we were fighting through that all the time. But only eight votes against it. And so we put those two churches together. I mean, the mayor was with us, and, and we had a signing with the overseer there, and they brought us their property. By the way, they brought, they brought us a piece of property that we later sold for a million dollars. And, uh, and my board asked, one of my board members asked me, said, do you think this is a good business deal? I said, they're going to bring us their property and then bring us their people to help us pay for it? 
And you don't think that's a good business deal? But uh, anyway, you know, some people will strain a gnat and swallow a camel. And so we, uh, we merged those two churches together. And man, we were rejoicing, just having a good time, praising the Lord. And, and we were doing like the Lord showed me. He told me, he said, now you take it easy when you put the congregations together. You do one Sunday night a month where you put both congregations together. And the rest of the time you keep them apart, except for Wednesday night, you bring them down to Crawford Avenue and, and you do teaching and training and developing. And, 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 make, and then you, in one month we'd be at their location and the next month we'd be at our location. And, and we were doing pretty good, except what I wasn't counting on those eight people that withheld or that uh, voted against it started withholding their tithes and their finances. And they were the strongest financial backbone of our church. And so the first month after we merged, I was $8,000 in the red. I'd never had red ink in my ministry. I, I didn't know what, to, I couldn't believe it. The second month, we were $16,000 in the red. And I'm really sweating it now. The third month, we were $24,000 in the red. And now I'm crying out to God. I'm saying, God, I know that I heard you. In fact, if the Lord hadn't, hadn't challenged me to stay before him for four hours for 30 days about that merger, I probably would have bailed out. But I, I knew it was God. And so if, I know, if, if you know it's God, you, you can stay in the kitchen even if the heat's turned up, you know. And so, but I'm, I'm saying, God, we got to do something. What, I don't know what to do. And I was preaching a series of sermons on praise at the time. And, I, and we, had our, we had the two congregations together that Sunday night. And uh, so, some of these guys that were withholding their tithes and their finances said it real loud so these young charismatics could hear them. said, bless God, these preachers have got themselves in a mess they can't praise their way out of now. And, and one of my members heard, heard him and came and told me that. And so it's Monday morning, and I'm getting ready to go to the office. And I'm, I remember exactly where I was. I was standing at the mirror shaving and crying. And uh, I said, God, I don't know what to do. And I, I could hear that guy in my ear. I could hear him say, bless God, these preachers have got themselves in a mess. They can't praise their way out of now. And just like that, the Holy Spirit said, why don't you try and see if you can praise your way through it? And, I was, and the lights just started flashing. I mean, one right after the other. And I said, praise God, I know what I'll do. I didn't tell the congregation we were sinking. Nobody wants to stay on a sinking ship. You know, the worst thing a preacher can do is get up and tell you you're in financial problems. Y'all don't give this morning. We're going to have to close the doors. Well, <laughs> boy, people will let you close them. I'm telling you, they... Nobody wants to be on a sinking ship, man. I was praising the Lord like we had plenty. And I knew inside, man, it, it was just eating me alive. In fact, I told the Lord, I said, God, my overseer's not going to let me sit here and bankrupt this church. He'll move me. He'll do something. He won't let me stay here like this. You'll, ha you'll have to do something. And, uh, and so I, I, I told the congregation, I said, we're going we're gonna to have a weekend celebration of praise. We're going we're gonna to start at 6 o'clock p.m. on Sunday night at, uh, at, at our west location because it was safer out 
in the western part of downtown was getting pretty rough and they were stealing cars out of our parking lot and everything and at where we were on Crawford Avenue and it wasn't safe for the ladies. They were snatching their purses when they'd leave a church and, and we had to hire uh, security guards around the, uh, for all the services and we had it lit up to where it looked like noon when we were down there having church. But So we went to the west location for, for 6 o'clock at night until 6 a.m. and I said, we're going to do nothing but praise God. That's all we're going to do. We're going to praise God. We're going to praise Him. We're not going to ask God for a single thing. We're going to praise God, both congregations together. We started praising God at 6 p.m. How many of you have ever been in an all-night prayer meeting? Anybody here? Sure. You've been so. Let, let me ask you this. and you, you don't have to. You can just nod your head if you agree. It may not be this way, but everybody. But I've been through. I've been a bunch of. Usually about, <laughs> about 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning, it gets tough to pray. I mean, it, those those. Those early, those wee early morning hours, they they were very tough, you know, at an all-night prayer meeting. Let me tell you, it was right the opposite in that praise gather. I mean, the every hour, what I'd do at the beginning of every hour, I'd send one of the staff members to the pulpit, and he would read a scripture and direct our praise for the next hour, and uh, and we just praise God. And the more we praise God, the sweeter it became. And, uh, and uh, his presence just got greater and greater and greater. About 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning, I mean, it was just like heaven and earth had kissed each other. And we got caught right in the smack. I mean, the glory of the Lord, the presence of the Lord, the sweetness of his presence were there. It, it was wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. And, and we praised God all night long. And then at 6 a.m., we went down to Crawford Avenue and we kept praising God. And at 6 p.m. that night, it just exploded. Exploded. And I asked the people to bring them whatever God provided. I said, don't, don't, it, it, let God provide. I'm not begging for money or anything, but I want you to bring a praise offering to the Lord tomorrow to church. Just whatever God provides. And, and that, that offering was over $27,000. God had supernaturally given, I mean, there was testimony after testimony after testimony of people that had received large amounts of money that they weren't expecting. One couple had moved to our ch church from Atlanta, and the bank called them from Atlanta and said, we don't know how we made this mistake, but there's $500 left in your account that you closed out here five years ago, and uh, we're sending it to you. And it was just miracle after miracle like that. Those eight people took their money and left and our 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 finances soared we went from 20,000 a month uh 2,000 3,000 a month to 30,000 a month and and from 300,000 a year to over a million a year and it just kept soaring and soaring and soaring a million and two million and we started planting churches when Brad was with me for as our, our missions director we planted 2,000 churches in five years, all in five different continents, and we supported missionaries, we feed the homeless, we were doing all kinds of things, and God had never stopped blessing the finances of the church. We praised our way through it. If you'll stand with me, I might stop. <laughs> 